Let's go back this evening to Mark chapters 8, 9, and 10 and look at a part two of the fact that Jesus predicts his own death. Jesus foretells, predicts his own death. Just as a quick review, you remember from this morning, we focused on Mark 8 and 31. A second time that Jesus foretells his death in Mark 9, verse 30. And then a third time, Mark 10, and verse 32. And it appears that along about this time, as you read through Mark's account of the life of Jesus, that Jesus begins to make a, a more focused effort on his death. If you look back in the first few chapters, chapters 1 through 8 of Mark, you see Jesus teaching, you see him healing, casting out demons, going to the Mount of Transfiguration, and many, many good works which led uh, Peter and others to conclude that this is the Christ, the Son of God. Now that Jesus has accomplished that, he's going to try to talk to them about his death. We will focus this evening for a few minutes on Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 uh, onward. Mark chapter 9. This evening we want to look at three sections, the cross and teaching, and then the cross and misunderstanding, and then the cross and love. So we will begin the first section, the cross and teaching. You see that in Mark 9 verse 30, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not any, want anyone to know for he was teaching his disciples. So, Roman numeral number one, the cross and teaching. Okay, underneath that A is Jesus seeks some privacy with his disciples. If you go back a, a page or two, you'll see they have, he had taken a few of them, Peter, James, and John, up on the Mount of Transfiguration. When they came back down, they joined others of the disciples and now Jesus is, to, is together with his regular disciples and they're headed to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to teach them. He's seeking some privacy with them. Okay. Now, this does not mean that Jesus was not always accessible. He was both accessible and he was approachable. You remember over in Matthew 26 and about verse uh, 55 that when they came to arrest Jesus, they came with weapons and lanterns and he said, you know, I was in the temple day by day teaching and you never tried to arrest me then. Okay. And I like to add to Jesus' words there. Okay. You bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> you know, but you know what had happened? Now they had a gang. They had a gang of people. Now they're ready to arrest him. Isn't it the case that, that a lot of times people are afraid to approach somebody one-on-one? -on -one? If they can get a gang together, now they're ready to approach. And here they come. Okay. 
But Jesus was always accessible. So he's seeking some privacy with his disciples. Okay. B part. B part is notice Jesus' classroom. Notice the classroom of Jesus. Well, his, what is his classroom here? His classroom is going to be as they walk along the way and as they travel and as they journey to Jerusalem where Jesus is going to die for our sins, that's going to be his classroom. Okay. Jesus taught in a number of different ways, didn't he? From a number of different places in a number of different scenarios. Jesus even taught uh, while he hung on the cross, amazingly. He hung, but, you know, Jesus would teach on the seashore. Jesus would go up on the mountains and teach. Jesus would teach in houses. Jesus would teach in the temple. Jesus would teach uh, from a boat back toward the seashore. Jesus, the reason that Jesus is called the master teacher is because he was always teaching. John 7, 45 even his enemies confess, no man has ever spoken like this. Matthew 7, 28 and 29, it says that the multitudes were astonished at his teaching because he spoke with one who had such authority uh, from God. No one would ever come up to Jesus and say, well, have you ever taught the gospel? Okay. He was always... Uh, teaching. That's what it means to be ready to teach. He was always teaching. He's the perfect pattern uh, for our teaching. Okay. Now the C part, before we move from Roman numeral one, number one, the cross and teaching, the C part will be for us. And to remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 21, he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. A big part of the cross is the teaching that is to be done about the cross. Okay. The gospel, the cross, certainly pertains to the suffering and the death and the burial and the resurrection and even the ascension of Jesus up on high. But we don't go around just just repeating those words, but rather there are implications, there are ramifications that come uh, from the cross, okay? such as obedience to the gospel, you know, such as shaping our heart to be more in line with the Lord's heart, okay? such as following Him and, and shaping our attitudes to be like His attitudes. If you're right here in Mark chapter uh, 9, notice that... Um, Verse 35, he sat down and called the twelve together and said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Okay. So that is a ramification. That's an implication that comes from knowing more and more about the cross. So first of all, uh, this evening, notice Jesus and notice the cross and teaching. The cross and teaching. The cross calls upon us to teach. The cross calls upon us to share the message of Jesus. Roman numeral two this evening. The cross and misunderstanding. The cross and misunderstanding. You notice it here in Mark 9, verse 32. As Jesus is teaching, 
about and predicting, foretelling about the upcoming cross and resurrection. Notice verse 32, but they did not understand a saying and were afraid to ask him. They did not understand a saying and they were afraid to ask him. Okay. Now while we're right here, I want you to notice two questions. Two questions. Now, this is a side note. Okay. Now, when I do a side note, that doesn't mean I have lost my way. And that does not mean that you should lose your way. And if you do, shame on you. Okay. This is a side note, but it's a good side note. When I say side note, I mean this could be further study for you. All right. Here it is. There are two questions here. Notice in verse 32, the question that they were afraid to ask. See, they were afraid to ask. They didn't understand about this cross business, but they were afraid to ask. But then notice verse 33. They come to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you dis discussing just now? on the way and they kept silent for on the way they had been arguing with one another who was going to be the greatest so one question here is the question they were afraid to ask and the second question here is the question they were ashamed to answer a shame on them for misunderstanding they were so misunderstanding that they were arguing who was going to be the greatest. Isn't that a shame? That they were, they were afraid to ask and then they were ashamed to answer the question that Jesus asked them. And so, Roman numeral two this evening is the cross and misunderstanding. Now, if, if you have a Bible that has cross references, if you look at verse 32, you'll probably have a cross reference to a lot of other passages. Okay. Now, let me calm your mind. Okay. We could trace every one of those passages to emphasize the fact that Jesus was often misunderstood, and he was. He was often misunderstood. I mean, even at his trial, the little pathetic thing they said was, that they had heard Jesus say that he could destroy the temple and then in three days build it back up. Okay. And what had actually Jesus said? Well, he had said something along those lines, but he was referring to the temple of his body and the fact that his body was going to be destroyed in three days, he was going to rise again. But they misunderstood. Okay. And that's another side note. If you'll follow those references, you'll see, references, you'll see that Jesus was often misunderstood. We have been studying um, in the auditorium class and in a couple of other classes, books from Leroy Brownlow, a, a preacher teacher of a couple of generations ago. Brother Brownlow has a sermon, and I have preached this sermon over the years. It's just simply called The Misunderstood Christ. The Misunderstood Christ. The cross and misunderstanding. Now here's a couple ideas to let sink in. If Jesus was misunderstood, why should we find it surprising that others will misunderstand? 
And with misunderstanding comes apathy. And so if Jesus has apathy, if Jesus has ignorance in his midst, and he being the perfect, the master teacher, then why would we be blown out of the water? Because others might misunderstand our teaching uh, from uh, the scripture. Okay. Why do people, why did people misunderstand Jesus? Why do they misunderstand him now? Because of the conditions of their heart. Okay, because of their own lack of understanding. In this process that we call knowledge, there are two big things, about 50% teaching and 50% reception. Okay. And if we're going to have classes on being a better teacher, what about classes on, on how to receive the word better? Like James talks about in James 1, 19 to 21. He says, you know, putting away all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, that really sounds bad, put it all away and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Isn't it just as important to study how to receive God's word because we come to God's word with all sorts of preconceived ideas and misconceptions and those are mixed in there with our reading of the word. Isn't it important to be able to receive the word? Doesn't an inability to receive the word with a purity and clearness of heart doesn't that contribute to the overall ignorance and apathy of God in the world? Of course it does. So notice the cross and misunderstanding. Okay. A part under that is just see it right there for yourself. And B part, get real specific. What are they misunderstanding? Okay. Two big things. Why Jesus had to die and what about this resurrection? Okay. We touched on that this morning on the cross. You know, Peter and the other disciples who had had a Jewish upbringing, they really could not get their arms around why, if you're the Messiah, why are you talking about this rejecting business, this betrayal, and this ideal of, of dying? They just had a hard time with it. Eventually got it, but sometimes ideals take longer to sink in than some other ideas. It would be like, um, suppose you have a golfer and he's, he's in the tournament and it's the final round, it's, it's Sunday afternoon, and he decides on that final round, he, to play that round, he's going to tie one of his arms behind his back and just play one-armed. Okay. And we would probably look at him and say, well, quit kidding around, be the golfer. You're the golfer. You be the golfer. Play this final round with both, both arms and quit being silly. That's almost the, the ideal of Peter and other disciples is they're almost saying to Jesus, quit, quit fooling around. Quit talking about this dying business. We've seen some of your power. We know you can have all power. We need to begin to take down the Roman government. What's, why are you talking like this? Okay. We know they had... A, concept of the resurrection. Okay. And think just for a moment with you. You're familiar with um, Lazarus over in John 11 and Mary and Martha and Jesus finally goes to where Lazarus and Lazarus has died and, and Mary and Martha, Martha especially I'm thinking about right now, she comes to him and says, you know, Lord, if you had been here, he would not have died. 
And Jesus says, well, your brother's going to rise again. Now listen what Martha said. Around John 11, 24, 25. Listen what Martha says. She says, I know that there's going to be a resurrection. I know he'll rise on the, in the last day. Okay. So many of the people Jesus is working with, they had a concept of a resurrection of the body in the last day. They just didn't understand it for Jesus in the present time. They, she understood last day resurrection, but she didn't understand that her brother could rise right then. Okay. And so with Peter and the other disciples, they probably understood from the Old Testament some idea of a resurrection on the last day. But why is he talking about this, this three days, this crucifixion, this being killed at the hands of the, of, of the Gentiles and then being raised? They didn't get that. Okay. So they were mis, misunderstanding and for us today, it just simply means we need to condition our heart. We need to certainly search the scriptures, but we need to work on our heart as we search the scriptures and as we listen and as we read so that we will not misunderstand our Lord. And then finally this evening, <coughs> Roman numeral number three, the cross and love. The cross and love. We know that there's a lot of God's love in the cross. Romans, Romans 5, 8 says, God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One thing the cross shows us is the difference between fake love and authentic love. The difference between false love and true love. Let me comment on this for just a minute or two. But me commenting on this doesn't mean that I have arrived or that I have grown to be as the Lord would have me to be, especially in regard to love. But the reason we talk about this is so that we can try to love like God loves and to understand it better. Okay. So let's think first about fake love, false love. In false love, the aim, the aim is to use other people to make yourself happy. Okay. In false love, the aim is to use other people to make yourself happy. Okay. In false love, it is totally conditional. False love is totally conditional. That is... You give to others and love others as long as you can see and understand that they will meet your needs and affirm you as someone valuable. So see, false love is totally conditional. Okay, you are, you're using the other person for your own self. And you are willing to give to the other person as long as they are meeting your needs and giving some affirmation to you. Okay. False love. And false love is totally protective. Protective. That is, when you have false love in your heart, you hold back. Okay, you hold back to make sure 
that before you love or give to that other person or other people, that they're going to be giving you what you think they should. Okay. That is just a quick summary of what fake, false love is. Okay. Now, next column would be true love. True love. Now, on the other hand, true love, true love, the aim of, the aim of true love is that you give yourself, you use yourself, you spend yourself for the eternal good of the other person simply because that is your greatest joy. I want to repeat that. In true love, your aim is that you spend yourself and use yourself for the eternal good of another person or other people simply because that has become your greatest joy. Not because of any other reason, but because that has become your greatest joy. In true love, true love is radically unconditional. Okay? You love others, you love the other person, regardless of whether they meet your needs or they do anything for you, whether they affirm you, accept you, or meet your deeds, regardless of that, you're still going to love. Okay. And then also in true love, instead of being protective, okay, true love is absolutely open. Okay. True love does not hold back. True love gives it all. True love gives and loves in a super tremendous way, both generously and sacrificially. Right. So, false love, true love. Now, the third column here, as we think about the cross and love, the third column is problem. Problem. And the problem is that none of us walking around, none of us can actually give true love to a satisfactory degree. We can't do it. All right. And the problem is also that we desperately need true love. Just as much as air and water, we need true love. That's the problem, you see. We need it in a very desperate way, but no one walking about can actually give that. Why can't they give it? Because they are needy. They need love back from us, you see. And so we can't give it, neither can anybody else, yet we desperately need it. So what's the end result? The end result is that we walk around, we're looking for true love. We're looking for it. We're groping for it. We're longing for it. We're, we're looking for love in, in people and in places and in things that cannot give us true love. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. And we can't find it. Except that we can. Is there, is there someone? Is there a person who has not held back in their love. 
Is there someone who has loved us sacrificially and, and generously and in a radical way, in a very unconditional way? Is there someone who has done that and is, and is doing that? Is there someone who has loved us in that way and yet does not need us? And of course, there's only one who can love that way and does love that way, and that is, that is God Almighty. That is the Lord Jesus Himself. And that's why Jesus said in John 12, 32, If I... If I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men unto me. It's not the picture of, of an old tree that draws us to the Lord. It's the love behind and in the cross that draws us to Him. And it's wonderful. And it ought to cause a tremendous and radical change within us if we will only let it. And in a secondary way, even though we can't provide the true love that the world needs as human beings, we can learn once we accept the Father's love and follow Him, we can then learn how to love in a greater and greater way and actually shows some of the elements of true love. You see, we love because He first loved us, 1 John says over and over. 1 John 4, 19-21. We love because He first loved us. Okay? Our love and our attitude, our mind, our heart, our, con our condition, our, our in internal condition is to be shaped by the love of God. If it's not, then we become people pleasers. We become people pleasers. And we try to do everything we can do so that the other person or a, a group of people will, will not reject us, that they will like us, that they will, uh, they will accept us, that they will affirm us, and the more we stay away from God's actual true love, the more people-pleasing we are involved in. And yet the, the thing that people need the most is not for us to run after them trying to please them. What they need the most is to be able to see the love of God in us. And that in turn will draw them to the cross. You see, God's love can empower us. It can enable us to learn to love more like Him in a boundless way, in a very generous way, in a very radical way. And when we learn to do that, then we have made some steps toward what God really is all about. This challenges me, and I hope it does all of us, this third part here, the cross in love, this is huge. This is huge. There are people who, who live all their lives 
in somewhat association with the Bible and with church and worship and never really grasp what it is the Lord is trying to show us. So thank you for this time together this evening to be able to talk a little bit more about the Lord and His cross. He predicts His death and we are better for it. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation this very evening, you can see that the Lord invites us all. Surely we can see through the Lord's words tonight and the Lord's actions on the cross that He loves every one of us and He wants us to be at His side. Will you come right now as we stand, as we sing? <laughs>